Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Are you expecting a bumper bonus this year? And if so, do you plan to save, spend or invest it? 2022 is expected to be a record year for bonus payouts, not just for listeners working in finance, but also tech and other industries that have profited during the pandemic. In a recent poll, three quarters of FT readers said they were expecting their bonus to be bigger or substantially bigger than last year's payout. One in three expect to be awarded between £10,000 and £50,000. One in five said their total bonus would be valued at between 100000 and a quarter of a million pounds. Frankly, unbelievable sums when you consider the huge squeeze on the finances of most ordinary people right now as the cost of living rises sharply. However, high inflation, tax increases and rising interest rates are also having a huge bearing on whether those lucky enough to receive a bonus decide whether to spend, save or invest the money. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. Well, I'm joined live in the studio today by three financial experts who are going to triage some of the bonus confessions of FT readers. So let's meet them. Well, hello, I'm James Max, radio presenter and FT columnist. I recently wrote an FT column called How to Get a Bigger Bonus. And during my time working in investment banking and private equity, I was on the receiving end of a fair few wodges of wedge. I'm so glad that you said that. Nimesh. Hi, everyone. I'm Nimesh Shah. I'm chief executive of chartered accountancy and tax advisory firm Blake Rothenberg. I've been advising my clients for many years now on the tax planning aspects of receiving bonuses and how to make the most of their tax allowances. I'm Susanna Streeter. I'm the Senior Investment and Markets Analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne, and I'll be suggesting ways you could think about investing your bonus for the longer term. Well, welcome, everyone. What a bonus to have you all together in the FT studio today. But before we dive into the details, let's start with the bigger picture. Why are bonus payouts so large this year? I mean, James, it really feels counterintuitive when there's so much grim 
economic news, the war in Ukraine, the cost of living shooting up, and we're talking about massive payouts. We aren't talking about massive payouts, but let's think about this in a slightly different way. So we're talking about the last financial year, which is actually pretty good. Markets rose. We saw very significant profits from companies that were getting back to work after the pandemic. We were seeing very significant transaction volumes. They're also putting a lot into the public markets. We saw flotations like we haven't seen for many, many years. So all the financial markets, they're growing. Mm. I mean, Amesh, how does that all tally with the kind of client base that, that you have and the sort of bonuses that you're, that you're seeing clients be awarded? Yeah, I think James has summed it up pretty well. Businesses in certain sectors, especially financial services sectors, did pretty well. Profits actually remained pretty stable, in some cases pretty high, because revenues were were also quite stable, in some cases increasing as well. So that all meant higher profits, which mean bigger bonus pots for employers to pay out to their employees. I think, yes, we're going to see that filtering through probably next year, the uh, big bonuses um, on offer, because actually there's been this fight for the right talent really intensifying, starting salaries at highest rate in something like 24 years. But really, this is a bitter pill to swallow, isn't it, for those people who are facing this looming cost of living crisis. And I think what you'll be seeing is actually some of the big uh parts of these bonuses might be going into paying off uh, bigger bills coming down the line. Let's go back to the FT bonus poll where 900 readers, very grateful to them, bared their financial souls and told us their bonus secrets. Now, we asked people what they intended to do with the cash element of their bonus. Spend it, save it, invest it or use it to pay down debt. And why they intended to do this. So we're going to work through those categories with the experts, hearing some of the secrets that FT readers confessed. Now, first up, here are some comments from people who said that they would spend the majority of their bonus. I've worked my ass off earning my bonus this year, so I'm going to enjoy it. Life is too short. I'm spending my bonus on a holiday. It's investing in memory creation. My wife wants an extension, so we're getting an extension. I'll enjoy the improvements now, and they'll increase my home's saleability in five years or so. I need a new boat. Music to the ears of the editor of How to Spend It. Holidays and home improvements were among the top answers for the spenders. But it's notable that only 11% of those polled said that they did intend to spend the majority of their bonus money. Now, James... Judging by your last FT column, I take it the need a bigger boat comment came from you. You say it came from me, but that might be manufactured. Who knows? I wouldn't necessarily advocate uh, going for a bigger boat or indeed a boat at all. I can see nothing but trouble. But spending, though, big sum of cash lands with you right now. You would be on the side of the spenders. I, I, you know what? I'm not sure I necessarily would because I think the world has changed because, uh, first of all, this house uh, expenditure, cost of living crisis isn't just going to be a short blip. This is now baked in and it's going to be baked in for a couple of years, if not longer. So I I would actually be slightly more cautious than I might usually be. Well, Susanna, it's tempting to spend a windfall, but you would encourage people to take a more balanced approach. I certainly would. And it's great to hear James taking that balanced approach rather than splashing out on a big boat. 
obviously everybody's worked their socks off over the past year uh, longer hours virtual working it's not been easy so you can understand why people want to reward themselves and certainly I'd go about doing that but really as well you've got to take this time to do a rain check on your finances and make sure that you're not spending big for the rest of the year getting into debt racking up debt on your credit cards and using your bonus to pay it off if you're doing that make sure you change those habits right now and start planning for that rainy day yeah, very, very wise advice. There are many people I know who live from bonus to bonus using it to pay off the debts. Now, Namesh, the biggest problem with taking the spend route is that it's the least tax efficient thing you can do. Well, the first thing we need to do about our bonus windfall is actually think about how much is going to be left in our pocket. So staggeringly, from the 6th of April, almost half of your bonus is going to go to the tax man because that's, that's because the government have introduced a national insurance rise or badged as the health and social care levy. And that's here to stay. So that means the top rate of tax for someone who's earning over 150000 is going to be 48.25%. So the first thing is, let's have a look at how much you're going to have left and then think about, well, what can I do to ease that, that uh, tax burden? Uh, and there are some simple things that we can do. So looking at a salary sacrifice arrangement through your employer, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later on as well. James? Yeah, look, I think we've got to get a balance here. You know, there's an element of of following the Wendy's advice. Wendy's my mother. What the Wendy says is, do it now. So if you have the money and you've done all the sensible stuff, and don't get me wrong, I want you to do the sensible stuff, then for goodness sake, go and do something fun. Otherwise, you're going to be very, very, very dull. Why did you bother working so hard if you're not going to do something interesting with some of your bonus? I do think James has got a point that our life is right now. And we also have to make sure that we are enjoying ourselves and making the best of any situation. So it's got to be a mixture between saving and spending. That's, of course, if you are able to spend, because so many people right now just can't. Well, well said, Susanna. And I have to say, the readers who answered our poll, around a third of them said that they would not spend a single penny of their 2022 bonus money, which is quite a staggering fact. Now, let's stick with the topic of tax. Investing your bonus can protect it from tax to a certain extent, but there are also lots of rules. Now, nearly two-thirds of FT readers said they intended to invest the majority of their bonus, so let's hear what they had to say. My bonus will push my earnings over £100,000 for the first time and I'm paying back a student loan so this means I'm going to be charged over 70% tax on what I earn above that level. So I'm going to put my bonus into my pension. As a 38-year-old, I already have £450,000 compounding away in my pension so it's foolish to save much more. Before we get into the tax shielding power of pensions, uh, Nimesh, can you... Please explain to us that reader who said they were going to be pushed into a 70% tax rate. I mean, how is that even possible? It's quite a staggering number, isn't it? That 70%. Uh, and it's also quite symbolic as well. Someone earning six figures for the first time in their, possibly first time in their career, to be hit with, the, with such a significant sum of tax. Now, when someone earns over 100,000, what happens is their personal allowance, the tax-free amount, gets tapered away by £1 for every £2 they earn over that limit. So that's the first roughly £12,500 of your earnings. Right. 
that you get tax-free, but when you go over the 100 mark, that gets taken away. That gets taken away. The government are taking away that tax-free sum. At that point, you're paying 40% income tax. So 40% plus the effect of the government taking away your tax-free allowance means you hit an effective rate of tax in the banding of 100,000 to just over 125,000 of 60%. Now, in the case of that particular listener, they also had student loan repayments. Now, this is this isn't actually technically a tax, but it's coming off your payslip. It feels like a tax. It's less money in your pocket. That's what gets you to a 70% rate of tax. Just going back to what the what the reader had to say, they were dealing with this 60-70% marginal rate of tax by putting their bonus into their pension. Nimesh, how does that solve the problem? So I mentioned this before about salary sacrifice. So what you can do is tell say you're say to your employer, actually, I don't want the money in my pocket. What I'd rather do is put that amount into my pension. What that means is effectively that's not going to be added to your income. And in some cases, then, that can take you below that magic £100,000 threshold for taxable income purposes. The money ends up in a pension. That's good because the pension can grow tax-free. All the investment return in that pension environment is tax-exempt. The only thing is you can't get hold of it until retirement age. That's not a bad thing if you're someone like James who wants to go and spend it all. Well, Susanna, the big advantage, of course, of putting your bonus into your pension is saving tax. But as Namesh says, the downside is that if you're young, that money is going to be locked away for a really long time. Yeah, that is the conundrum. And plenty of people shy away from topping up pensions because they see this route as so inflexible, particularly as in 2028, the age at which you can draw your pension rises from 55 to 57. And younger investors should expect this to, to rise even further. However, remember that many companies match contributions you make, so it can really pay off over time. And I think all of this comes back to working out what your financial goals are. And back to Namesh, I mean, that second clip, a fantastic achievement for a 38-year-old to have nearly half a million in their pension pot, must confess, much envy. But why might they be reluctant to save any more money? Now, firstly, they've done incredibly well to get to that level at such a young age. But that comes with a pension problem as well. Pensions are riddled with problems and we haven't got long enough today to talk about them all. But one of those problems is that uh, the pension lifetime limit is around a million pounds, just over a million pounds. So you need to carefully manage that lifetime limit amount. And so this particular reader is saying, well, I don't think I want to add much more to my pension because the investment growth that I'm going to get over the time that before I retire could quite easily breach that million pound limit. Mm, very worth thinking about. Now, although pensions are the most tax-efficient place to stick your bonus, only 23% of FT readers said they plan to go down the route this year. More than double that number, 54%, said they would use a stocks and shares ISA. And here's what they had to say. I'm waiting for markets to tank and will then buy blue chips and sensible investment trusts. A likely dip in stock markets is a good opportunity for building up long-term holdings. I'm choosing to invest in my stocks and shares ISA over paying down the mortgage because dividend payments are higher than mortgage interest rates and inflation could reduce the value of my mortgage. Well, some interesting observations from the readers who answered our survey there. Susanna, let's start with you on this one. I can see the attraction of ISAs, but investing a lump sum into one right now is a pretty nerve-wracking prospect. 
Well, it is. I mean, we've seen this volatility on financial markets since the start of the year. And the conflict in Ukraine really has added to this uncertainty with commodities soaring in price, really pushing up uh, the inflationary gauge. And many people have been shaken to the core by uh, the horror of the violence, of course, and the impact has been felt in every part of our lives. I mean, investments are no exception. It seems difficult to even talk about this when uh, you see the events unfolding. Mm. But when you do look at the stock market, periods of volatility are always difficult to watch. And this, though, is part and parcel of investing. We always expect there will be periods when portfolio values fall, but then other times when they recover. So the thing to remember is having a well-diversified portfolio. And if you've got a long-term investment horizon, often sitting tight is a really sensible way to ensure your portfolio is positioned for when uh, the markets recover. And if you're really worried about when to invest, one of the best strategies is to kind of drip feed your money into an account. You can open a stocks and shares ISA, just part the money in cash, then gradually put the money in. So that will mean that your money will go further in the dips and then benefit through the rises rather than thinking, I've got a few grand to invest right now. Where do I put it? Mm, James. I think people sometimes forget and think about the now when it comes to investing. You have to think long term. You have to think about not only your life and your tax position and your personal circumstance, but also what you're going to need the money for, whether you need access. And one of the reasons why people do choose ISAs over um, pensions is that your money might be locked up, but it's not locked up for good. So, for example, you can withdraw money from your ISA during the tax year and put it back in and not lose that tax wrapper. You can also take your money out of the ISA whenever you like. Nimesh, the tax benefits of ISAs could be greater than people realise. It's not just your own ISA that you can do. Yeah, and what you can do is double up or treble up or quadruple up amongst a family. So you could use a non-earning spouse's uh, tax allowance, uh, ISA allowance or pension as well, stakeholder pension. Two children under the age of uh, 18 can contribute to a junior ISA. So amongst a family of four, you could have £58,000 in an ISA. You could also get involved in a lifetime ISA, whereby you can put in £4,000 and you can top up, uh, the government tops up by another 1000 to give you 5000 Now, you have to be over 18 to be eligible for a lifetime ISA, and you can contribute to the age of 50. And again, you can give money to children to contribute into their uh, lifetime ISA if they're over the age of 18 as well. And so long as you open the lifetime ISA before you turn 40... You've then got the ability to pay in up to £4,000 every year until you turn 50. And I was able to open mine six days before my 40th birthday. It's almost like I asked for it. Now, let's turn to property. As interest rates rise, 13% of FT readers said they were considering using their bonus to pay off a big chunk of their mortgage. And others are accelerating plans to buy their first home. So let's hear what the property people had to say. I want to buy my first property before interest rates rise further. I want to be in the best possible situation when I remortgage in 15 months. I'm going to overpay the mortgage because I crave the guaranteed returns that paying down debt will provide. Interest rates are still relatively low, so I think it makes more sense to invest rather than pay down the mortgage. Well, an interesting selection of views from FT readers there. James, as our resident property guy, I'm going to come to you first on this. 
Do you think the readers are right to be cautious about rising interest rates? First of all, let's be clear. I love property. Property is great. You can live in it. You can use it. You can rent it. It's an asset. It's a thing. You can uh, improve it. You can change it. You can upgrade it. You can keep yourself entertained by it. I mean, all sorts of things you can do with real estate. And it's a physical asset in a very uncertain world, first of all. Secondly, it is a very tax-efficient investment. Your primary resident means that you can invest and you will not have to pay tax on it other than the stamp duty that you pay to get in there. I wish they'd get rid of a stamp duty. It's awful. It's a terrible tax. Um, That having been said, so your real estate, it's great and it provides you with an opportunity. But do be careful. Too many people took out too much debt in the past. Interest rates went sky high and a great property deal became a bad property deal. Also, we do have these long-term property uh, mortgages now available, which means that you can lock it in. And also, the whole chopping and changing, buying and selling thing, particularly if you're above certain levels, I'm afraid stamp duty's killed that off. You're far better off investing in your home. Make a decision for a property that you can stay in for a little bit longer. You will make much more money from it rather than chopping, changing, buying, selling. Mm, well, interesting points, James. And many readers mentioned stamp duty, um, it has to be said, in their responses saying there's no point in moving. Let's stick to improving. Now, Susanna, if listeners already have their own place and are thinking about using some bonus money to pay down the mortgage, what kind of practical tips do you have? So I think it's really worth uh, checking to see if you can make overpayments. So it does vary from lender to lender. But anecdotally, I, in fact, check with my lender um, to see if I can make overpayments. And I'm going to pay an extra 10%. Um, that's the limit for, for my lender. And so that will give me uh, the opportunity of paying off my, my mortgage you know, over a shorter time frame. And I think this is uh, important to look at if you're remortgaging, because what you could do if you're really worried about the cost of living squeeze ahead, one option is to actually lengthen your term, reducing your monthly payment obligations. But you could then set up a direct debit to make those overpayments, which means you could still pay off your mortgage at the same time, as long as you've done the sums right, of course. But you'd have allowed yourself a bit more breathing space just in case your financial situation changes. Uh, you do, of course, have to use a mortgage calculator to, to, to do all the checks and make sure your sums are right. But there are different options in place. Yeah. Always look at the small print before you go into these long term deals. Now, great tips there from all of our experts. But for our last set of clips, we're going to hear from some slightly more cautious FT readers. Let's hear what's on their minds. I'm paying down my personal loan and car loan so that I can save more of my earnings going forward rather than see them disappear paying direct debits. The national insurance increase and rising cost of living means I'll need more of my monthly salary to hand. Having school fees to pay in the coming years means I can't risk keeping the money in anything other than cash savings. So, Nimesh, when it comes to our personal balance sheets, clearly readers are considering the costs of carrying debt. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's very sensible to think about debt and the impact this can have on savings and disposable income. Uh, The last quote talked about school fees, future school fees as well. So having some cash uh, locked away. The things that you know you've got to spend money. Yeah, it will be certainly sensible planning. And we've all talked about that so far. 
I think just going back to the previous discussion, debt is still cheap. Let's not forget that. Uh, global financial crisis 15 years ago, we've been in an incredibly low interest rate environment. And I had to maybe disagree with Susanna as well about overpaying some of that debt because debt is still so cheap. So it's weighing up, sort of balancing out the uh, the debt cost against what you may make in investment returns, although bearing in mind markets are pretty choppy at the moment. But think about what James was saying as well. Look at it over a long-term horizon. Um and if the cost of debt is cheaper um, than what you could make in investment returns, then always use those tax wrappers that we talked about before as well. But as as the reader's been saying, do put some money to one side to see what may happen in the future in terms of your expenses. Mm. And Susanna, what would what would you add to the to the cautious reader? Well, it's really good to be cautious and build up that uh, cash buffer of three to six months essential expenditure. That really should be a priority. And I think if we've learned anything uh, through the pandemic is that a shock event can come at any time. And, And that financial buffer is very, very useful. Over and above that, there is a risk of keeping too much cash and a risk that you aren't allowing your money to work as well as it might do. Now, on the topic of next year's bonus, if you, like me, have been listening to this podcast feeling somewhat peeved about missing out on some of the huge sums on offer, then I've saved the best until last. Now, James, what are your top tips for listeners who are eager to increase the size of next year's payout? And how could we perhaps apply some of these arguments to people who don't work in investment banking? Well, I'm so pleased you asked me that. There are so many things that you can do. I think people assume that everybody around you knows how good you are at doing your job. And I'm not saying that you should become a narcissist and start putting up posters with, you know, I did this and I did that and I'm amazing because everybody will hate you and that's not a good thing. That having been said, you do need to make sure that those who are in charge know what you are doing, what you're achieving. And in fact, the thing to do at the beginning of the year is find out what they expect from you. So you can say to them, and I think bosses are always happy to have this conversation, which is, I'm really interested to see where you want to take our business, our team, and what you would like to see from me and indeed, you know, the team, us working together. What are the goals? What are the things that we've got to do? And many businesses will do that. They'll have a formal Mm -hmm. sit down every year where you'll set out your objectives. But especially in smaller businesses, you really need to take the initiative yourself. You do need to take the initiative, but also you need to understand what the cycle of the business that you work in is. There's no good asking for a bonus after the books are closed. There's no good asking for a bonus after it's all been decided. And there's no good asking for a bonus after you've kind of missed targets or haven't really necessarily sold yourself or said, oh, hello, I'm here at the end of the year. You've got to do that throughout. Well, thank you so much to our expert panel today, Namesh Shah from Blick Rothenberg, James Max, the FT columnist and talk radio presenter, and Susanna Streeter from Hargreaves Lansdowne. It's been a pleasure having you on. It's been wonderful to talk about all of the examples from FT readers. Thank you to all of you who answered our survey. If you want to read more about this topic, links to all of the articles that we've mentioned in the podcast, including James's column about boats, are linked to in today's show notes. That's it for Money Clinic this week. If you liked what you heard, then please spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, get in touch. You can email me. Our address is money at ft.com or DM me on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok. I'm at Claire B. 
Money Clinic was produced and edited in London by Persis Love. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragossa. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner. And the original music is by Messful Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.